Welcome back to another episode of Heaven and Healing Podcast. I'm Angela Yuchi, and this is the second episode. Um, I'm really excited about this, and I wanted to first and foremost say thank you to all of you for the support and the love and just the feedback on the first episode of the relaunch. It has been overwhelming in the best way, and I cannot thank all of you enough. I cannot thank God enough for being so good and allowing this to find so many people as it's meant to. Um, that being said, if you could please subscribe to the podcast if you have not already done so. It's available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. And give it a five-star rating and written review on whatever platform you listen or watch. It's really helpful to get this into more people's ears and to continue to plant those seeds of anyone who may have Jesus knocking on their heart and they haven't quite answered the door yet. So my most sincere prayer with this podcast is that it will water those seeds, will plant those seeds, water those seeds, and give people maybe the sign that they're looking for to really let Jesus in if they haven't already done so. And those of us that are believers, my prayer is that this will relight your fire for God and also inspire you to share the gospel, preach the gospel, and, you know, spread the love of Jesus amongst your friends, family, and just the world. So that being said, let's get into it. I wanted to talk today about sin and salvation because it's been on my mind a lot as a new believer you know at this point I'm you know I'm still a baby Christian it's been about what three full months I guess since I've officially considered myself to be saved and I've been um you know experiencing obviously what life is like as a Christian And witnessing how there's still a lot of struggle and there's still a lot of sin for me to overcome in this experience. And I think when I first was born again, I, um, not that I expected my life to just be better forever, but I, I, maybe I did expect that (laughs) in a way where I thought, okay, everything's going to be easier now. And that hasn't necessarily proven to be the case. And so it's been on my mind a lot how for new believers or maybe veteran believers, people that have believed in God, that have given themselves to Christ, whether it be from early in life or just, you know, decades ago, how maybe that can feel discouraging sometimes. The fact that life is still tumultuous, even though we have this beautiful, beautiful gift of God, right? This free gift of eternal salvation given to us by our one father, the mighty one, the alpha, the omega, who sent his one begotten son to outstretch his arms on a wooden cross and bleed out for us to die for our sins and our salvation. Even though we have that, Life is still hard. And I think that was, um, you know, this has been kind of a challenging pill for me to swallow. And so I've been praying on it a lot. I've been talking to Jesus about it in prayer. And recently, you know, I, I said to him, 
what what am I what am I to talk about on the next Heaven and Healing podcast episode? What what is the topic that you want me to be really diving into? Um, because like I said before, it's really important for me that this comes from God, that this comes from the Holy Spirit, that it's not all oriented on whatever is of my flesh. So that said, I just, I closed my eyes. I kind of just skimmed through the pages of my Bible and I just happened to open to page one of the epistle of Paul to the Romans. So literally the first page and I read the first, um, read the first book of it and just got sucked in. I got sucked in and I read the entire thing in one sitting. It took hours because I was studying it as I went, but I feel like it really, really helped answer a lot of the questions that I had, a lot of the things that I was praying on. And so I wanted to share that with all of you because I think it's really important because the entire premise of the book of Romans is to explain that salvation is found in Christ. And, you know, Paul's whole premise was to preach God's word to help the Romans. And I really feel like this is a valuable, valuable gospel to maybe start out with as a non-believer. If there's anyone in your life who is coming out of new age, this might be a really good place to send them or not even just new age, you know, addicts, whatever it is, atheists, anything, anything, anyone that is newly saved. I would recommend the book of Romans because it he touches, Paul touches on the Old Testament as well. He kind of gives like a really, like a synopsis of the Old Testament in a way throughout this. So there is a little bit of that in there sprinkled throughout. Um, and he just overall talks about, again, that salvation is only found in Christ. And he talks about the righteousness of God. And that is really the theme of the book of Romans is the righteousness of God. And it's broken into four parts as I um, perceive it. So there's the need for God's righteousness. There's the provision of God's righteousness, how it is given to us. There's the justification of God's righteousness. And then there is the practice of God's righteousness. You know, what is called forward in us as believers of Christ. So Paul, first and foremost, like all Christians wants what is best for his people, which is why he wrote this in the first place. You know, he was excited to be spreading his teachings throughout um, the empire. And he just, he wants what's best for them. So he talks of God, who he is and what he has done. And he talks of Jesus Christ and what his death accomplished in that. And it's a really, really, really profound gospel. I am absolutely obsessed with it. I mean, it's it's profound, it's captivating, it's it's beautifully written, and it really just, it gets to the point. It doesn't really tiptoe around anything. It gets to the point. Um, it says what it needs to say, and it really highlights, you know, what I said at the beginning about the nature of sin and how we will still struggle, although we are... Although we are saved in Christ, although we are born again in Jesus, we are not sinless. And although we are promised eternal life, we are not promised an easy life here on earth. So this book really highlights those two things. 
and it helped me so I thought this would be a really great way to share with all of you. First, let's talk about how it is needed, right? How is the righteousness of God needed as explained by Paul in the book of Romans? So let's just start with Romans 3.23, which says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. By the way, this is King James Version, which is the version that we should be um, gathering our scripture from. And I will have episodes on that later. In the meantime, there's plenty of YouTube videos, plenty of resources online that you can find why King James Version is it. Anyway, 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So that says everything it needs to say. We all have sinned. We all fall short to the glory of God. All of us, every single person even the most perfect, quote unquote, I use air quotes with that if you can't see, even the most perfect Christian still falls short to the glory of God. So God's righteousness is needed in our lives for that reason alone. Now, kind of unpacking that, right? Our sin is so abundant, regardless of how good, again, air quotes, we may be. So you know, even though we are Christians and we may know better, so to speak, we still have sinful thoughts, right? We still have judgment. We still may engage in gossip or a white lie or a cheat in one way or another, you know, gluttony, sloth, all these ways. We are still sinful by nature. You know, that is unfortunately the curse of Eden. That That's the curse of Adam and Eve. We are sinful beings of a fallen world. We need God's righteousness. And, you know, the thing is, um, non-believers and people that are entrenched in New Age and people that are entrenched in other religions, even people that believe in God, right, that don't necessarily subscribe to the Christian paradigm, those as well as non-believers, they are trying to do it all on their own, okay? We try and work our way out of things. And I speak on this because I was there, right? We try and work our way out of our sinful nature and we ultimately fail because we cannot do it alone, okay? The reason that we suffer so much without having accepted Jesus is because we can literally feel that we are condemned for our sin. We can feel that we are condemned for our sin because we are without God. And so that is why we suffer through it. Without knowing him, we suffer through it because we recognize that we are condemned for the sin. And you have to understand that when you do not know Jesus, you are living in that condemnation. You are living in that condemnation because you are not allowing yourself the sweet salvation that he is just absolutely heartbroken to give you. He is waiting to give you. And when you do not know him, you suffer because you're trying to do it all alone and you can't because you are sinful by nature. You are absolutely sinful by nature and that doesn't make you bad. It just, it's just is, it simply is. It's in all of us. And Paul makes it clear, you know, I as a believer am no better than you as a non-believer. We are all sinful by nature. And so there's no righteousness in what I say. You know, I'm not sitting on a throne saying, 
you need to know God or else you're going to suffer. I'm on my knees saying, you need to know God or you're going to suffer. Because without God, without accepting Jesus as the Savior that he is, you are literally experiencing your own condemnation on a regular basis. You are feeling it all the time and you are suffering for it. And, you know, you may be a great person. That's, that's a moot point, honestly, though, because he doesn't want your good works. He wants your faith in him. And so our sin, you know, more on that later, our sin is so abundant that regardless of how good we are, We still need Jesus. We still need God's righteousness. And ultimately, we cannot do it alone because we weren't meant to. So when we suffer, right, we are living in obedience to the flesh because we are victims of the faith that we have in ourselves. I'm going to say that again. When we do not know Jesus, we are living in obedience to the flesh because we are victims of the faith that we have only in ourselves. Because the thing is to not believe in God, to not believe that Jesus Christ is your savior still requires you to believe in something. It requires the faith that you know what you're talking about. It requires the faith that you are right, okay? It requires the faith that you have it figured out. Therefore, With that faith that you have, even if it's subconscious, that faith that you have, that you have it figured out, you are living for the flesh. And so by living for the flesh, you are ultimately living by your sin. You are living in your sinful nature. And so you are going to suffer. You are going to suffer. You need God's righteousness. That is the only thing that will allow us to resurrect from our sin. And again, it doesn't mean we are sinless, but it means we are free of it. And so the whole notion of suffering, it has a new, it sheds a new meaning. It sheds a new meaning because you understand again that you are not promised an easy life, but you are promised an eternal life. And you can recognize that although this life is hard, it is temporary. Although this life is challenging, it is temporary. And a lot of the systems of this world are designed, you know, are designed to set you up to fail. And when you can recognize that, that this is a fallen world and you are simply in the world, not of the world, the suffering that you endure, it's not as heavy because you're not doing it on your own. It doesn't begin and end with you. When you know Jesus, it doesn't begin and end with you when you let him into your heart. So, you know, the thing is, we need his righteousness because, yes, we are entrenched in our sin. We are sinful by nature. We are sinful by nature. Even again, the most perfect Christian is sinful by nature. It's that curse that I talked about, the curse of the garden. And The thing about that is that sin feels good, okay? This is something I've been thinking about a lot. Sin feels good in the moment. I'm going to say that again, the moment. Sin feels good in the moment. It's pleasurable. That's why 
That's why it's it's tempting because it's pleasurable, right? Sex, adultery, drugs, alcohol, pornography, all of these things, gluttony, they, they feel good. They feel good. Even gossiping can feel good because it, it gives you this false sense of connection with another person based on whoever it is that you're talking trash about, right? All these sinful things, they feel good, right? But ultimately, it hurts us. I want you to think about your sin and what feels best to you. I want you to think about your favorite sin, okay? Your favorite vice, whatever it is. I want you to think about it and I want you to think about how good it feels. Now I want you to think about how much it hurts after the fact. Whether that's the next day, whether that's the following week, whether it's the next month, whatever it is. I want you to think about how much it hurts in the end. I mean, look at the world around us. That's all you have to do is look at the world around us. Sin hurts, right? If we think about John chapter 4, that's what we're going through at my church right now and it feels relevant. John chapter 4, when Jesus seeks out the um, Samaritan, that woman, the the adulterous woman who has had five husbands, right? And she's drinking from the well and, or she offers Jesus from the well. And he says to her, you know, you could have my living water. Because the thing is, she's drinking from all these different wells and they leave her thirsty, right? Because she's had five husbands. So she's clearly looking for something that has not satisfied her thirst. So she moves through all this sin, jumping from one sin to the next, one man to the next, Nothing is quenching the thirst. And then Jesus comes to her and says, I am living water. You know, drink from my well. And that's what we do, right? We go to all these different wells. We go to all these different wells looking for something to satisfy our thirst, something to quench our thirst. And it may do that for a brief moment. It may fill us up. And we think that it's the thing. But ultimately, it leaves us empty. And honestly, a lot of the time we go into it knowing it's going to leave us empty. But we just need it. We're so thirsty that we just put these blinders on and and go into it regardless. And it feels good. So it's hard to resist that. And it's even harder to resist it if you don't know Jesus. If you're only standard of morale is based on your own flesh. Again, if you don't know God, if you don't believe in God, it is a thousand times harder to say no to things because that standard is still coming from your own self. It's coming from your own flesh. And so it's easier to bypass once you enter it. It feels too good to resist. You're, you are weak to your flesh. You are weak to your sin. You are no different than Eve who took the who took the fruit from the serpent. You are no different than Eve. It's so easy to say yes to sin because it feels so good. That's the point. That's why it's 
talked about more than anything in the Bible because God knows that. God knows how easily we are tempted. He saw that within the first two human beings that he created on the planet. He saw how easy it is for for us to just say yes to the flesh, to say yes to the desires of the world. He saw how easy it is. And that's why he gave us this word. That's why he gave us these these structures. I don't want to say rules. I say structures because they are set in place to ultimately protect us, to serve him and to protect us, right? So we need his righteousness because we are sinful by nature. It feels too good for us to resist our sin. We want to reject God. We want to rebel against God in this flesh and bone, especially without knowing him. Once we know him, there's like godly woe that comes into the picture where as we enter sin, we know we're being disobedient to the Lord and we don't want to do it because that's our father who loves us unconditionally. And while it may be more simple to cater to our flesh, it's really, really hard to walk away from God. But we still do it. Even the most perfect Christian will still give in to their sin because we are sinful by nature. And the thing is, a lot of people love their sin. Even if they hate it, they love it. They love it more than they love Jesus. So they deny him without even giving him a chance. You know, even a lot of people that were once Christians that, you know, convert out of Christianity, they love their sin more than they love Jesus. And, you know, perhaps that's a defense mechanism because you are only accountable to yourself. Perhaps non-belief, agnostics, atheism is a defense mechanism because If you let him in, then you are accountable to something bigger than yourself. And that forces you to look at the sin that you're living in. It forces you to look at the sin that you're living in on a much larger scale than whatever it is that the world is giving you. Because it forces you to look at that in the face of eternity. And so that non-belief perhaps is a defense mechanism. And again, I am no better than you. I am no better than you if you're a non-believer. I'm no better than you than, than wherever you are in your walk with Christ and your walk of life. Because I am a sinner too. I am not sinless. I've been freed from my sin as being born again in Christ, but I am by no means sinless. I struggle with my sin on a daily basis. Every single day, I struggle with sin. And I think one, I think something I need to see more of in the Christian community is that vulnerable admittance because we may perhaps be painting a picture for non-believers that there's this perfect world on the other side of Christianity. You know, once you're saved, that's it. Everything's great. While there's truth to that, there's still this whole other side that we deny within it. So we have to admit, we have to admit to people that we are still sinners, that we still struggle. 
that although we have eternal life, we don't have an easy life. We have to be willing to admit that because I think that is an easier way for non-believers to kind of bridge the gap and say, okay, so I can just come as I am. I don't have to strive for this level of perfection within my life or within myself. I just have to come as I am. And that's the thing. Yes, you come exactly as you are. You come exactly to God as you are. We are set free in, in the Holy Spirit when we accept Christ as our Savior, but we are not sinless in the body. And that being said, I wanted to share a few verses from what I think is my favorite chapter of the book of Romans, which is 8, and then it's verses 5 through 10. So it says, For they that are after the flesh do mind things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, so you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So, when you are of the flesh, you are after things of the flesh. But when you are in the spirit, you are after things of the spirit. So as you come to accept Jesus, you no longer want to serve that sinful nature. Although it is still inherently a part of who you are because of the curse, because you are in a fallen world, that's not what you feel called to follow anymore. And if Christ is in you, your body is, is dead of sin. But you are alive in the righteousness of, the, of his spirit. So that doesn't mean you're sinless, but it means you are free of the sin. I hope that makes sense. Because when the Spirit of God dwells within you, the sinful nature is no longer in the driver's seat. Okay, that's what I was trying to say. When the Spirit of God dwells within you, that's the Holy Spirit talking, amen. When the Spirit of God dwells within you, your sinful nature is no longer in the driver's seat because the Holy Spirit takes over. So yes, you are still sinful by nature. You still have sinful thoughts. You may still struggle with your sin and you are going to still sin. I'll make that clear. You, you will still sin, but the Holy Spirit is in the driver's seat because you are in body of Christ. And so that's the difference between saved and unsaved is that when you are unsaved, you are living for the flesh. 
You are living for the flesh. And that's even in the new age. Even people that, you know, have a relationship with God, although it is the God that they have formed as an idol in their mind, you are still living for the flesh within that experience. Because it's all about doing the work, right? It's all about doing the work. And just like I said at the beginning, right? He doesn't want your work. He wants your faith. He doesn't want your work. He wants your faith. And that faith is going to come through in how we practice, which I will get into at the end. Ultimately, wrapping up that whole first portion, why we need him, because our sin is so abundant regardless of how good we are. We are doing cartwheels when we try to do it all on our own because we are not meant to be our own savior because we are sinful by nature and we will ultimately fail when we own, when we continue to use our own self as the scope of what is good and bad, right? We are living in obedience to the flesh and of the faith that we have in ourselves without him because again, to not believe in him still requires faith in yourself that you're right. And so what would happen if you just place that faith in him instead? Ask yourself that question. We rebel against God by nature because sin feels so good, feels too good to resist. But we are set free of sin. We are set free of sin. Not to be sinless, but to be set free. Once we recognize that we need him. And so that righteousness that we, that we require from the Lord as these sinful beings, as his children, that is provided for us, okay? That is provided for us. It says in Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That is provided for us, okay? I had something else here, but I lost my spot. So God sent his only begotten son to manifest in the flesh, to outstretch his arms on a wooden cross and die for our sins. It's provided, okay? It was provided then and there. It is finished, John 19, 30, what Jesus said on the cross. It is finished, that righteousness is provided, that salvation of our sinless nature, it is provided for us. That salvation can only be found in Christ, that salvation of our sins. He died for us. And, you know, that's something that people hear their entire lives, you know, regardless of your belief system. That's something you hear your entire life is that there's a man that died for your sins. There's a man that died for your sins. But if you really sit with that, it's incredibly heavy that God sent his only begotten son to die for our sins. It says in Romans 5, 6, God, it says in Romans 5, 6, Christ died for the ungodly. We are ungodly by nature in that sin, as is our curse. He died for the ungodly. So the... The worst person on the planet that you can think of. Christ died for that person. As every bit as he died for you. That's why, again, I'm no better than you. 
No Christian is better than any non-believer. No Christian is better than any Muslim. No Christian is better than any new wager because Christ died for the ungodly. He died for all of us. He died for our sins. He died for mankind. He died so that we may have new life. Whether or not we choose that, well, that's where free will comes in. But regardless, that gift is available to each and every person on the planet. Even the worst of the worst of the worst. The most heinous, deplorable thing that you can imagine that somebody has done, Christ bled out for that person. And when you can really sit and think about that, it, it will bring you to tears knowing that he loves you that much. He loves them that much. He loves all of us that much that he did not spare his son for even the most deplorable human being, for even the most despicable person on the planet. The person that you hate most, the person that you have beef with, yeah, God loves them as much as he loves you, okay? Person that stabbed you in the back, that betrayed you, that lied to you, that cheated on you. God loves them as much as he loves you. And you may not be in a place where you're capable of feeling that, but that's what's so beautiful about our Savior. That's what's so graceful about him. You know, we hear that word grace so much. Grace and mercy. He has grace and he has mercy and righteousness. It's all one and the same. All one and the same. His grace and his mercy and his righteousness. He died for the ungodly so that we may have eternal life. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So if you had to sum up, you know, why we need God versus what is provided for us, right? Into two verses from Romans, we'll go to Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short to the glory of God, why we need him, and then what's provided of that. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Those two verses right there. God knows that we are imperfect, okay? He died for the ungodly. You can absolutely hear my cat meowing in the background. I'm so sorry. He died for the ungodly. He knows that we are imperfect. That's why Jesus was needed in the first place. That's why Jesus came. And again, Paul points out that God did not demand that we have our lives straightened out before coming to Christ. You come bearing that sin. You come bearing that sin. Understanding that, you know, the wages of it is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So without Jesus Christ, our Lord, that sin, that that condemnation that I mentioned, that 
for people that try and do it all on their own that just feel suffering all the time because they are literally witnessing their own condemnation on a regular basis. That's what it would be like for all of us all the time. But because Jesus Christ, our Lord, brings us this gift of eternal life, we don't have to experience that. Okay? He knows we're imperfect. We can come exactly as we are. He does not demand that we have our lives straightened out before coming. You come in your suffering. You come in your sin. You come exactly as you are to him. You lay it all down before his feet. You give it to him. And that sounds easier said than done for a lot of people. And I understand that because we live in a world that says do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to get all your ducks in a row, cross all your T's, dot all your I's, get it all started, right? And then there's this, there's this, there's a scripture that says, you just lay it all before God's feet and you're saved. And it's really hard for us to wrap our minds around that idea because how? How is it that simple? But that's the thing. It is simple with God. It is simple with God. He is not confusing. He is the I am, right? He is everything. He is our father. We are his children. And so if you think about a child, right? Children stumble and they fall and they mess up and they don't, they don't, they need you to feed them sometimes. They need you to cook for them. They need you to explain things to them. They need you to show them right from wrong. We are children, even adults, even 80 year olds are children of God. We need him and it's provided for us. It's provided for us, no matter how imperfect you are. He died for the ungodly. So your worst sin cannot separate you from him. And I think that's really important to note is that your worst sin cannot separate you from God. It's just a gift given freely. Now, let me find that verse because I apparently can't read my own notes. Um... There it is. Perfect. <laughs> Opened right to it. So we're still in chapter eight here. Like I said, I think this is my favorite chapter of the book of Romans. Your worst sin cannot separate you from him. So <clears throat> verse 34 starts with, who is he that condemn condemneth? It is Christ that died rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of the father, who also maketh intercession for us. So he is the one who... Christ is the bridge between us and God, okay? Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nigh, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Let me start that over. As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nigh, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded 
that neither death nor life nor angels nor princi nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How powerful is that? Nothing can separate you from God's love. Nothing can separate you from God's love. Again, the most heinous, deplorable person you can think of. It is provided. It is given to us. And that gift of salvation is ours for the taking if we so choose. Okay? I talked about this in the last episode. God's love is unconditional. That will always be a given. You will always have God's unconditional love. His salvation is your choice. His salvation is your choice. You can either continue to be a slave to your sin or you can submit to the spirit. So a lot of people have a problem with that word, right? Submission. I don't want to submit to anything or anyone. Well, here's the thing. If you're not submitting to Jesus, what are you submitting to? Because if you're not submitting to the Lord, your God, you are submitting to the flesh. You are submitting to your ego. You are submitting to the part of you that wants to be right. You are submitting to the part of you that loves your sin, that would rather stay within the confines of whatever it is you're doing than lay your life before God and say, take this from me. Take this, save me from myself, free me of this sin. You would rather stay entrenched in the suffering because it's easier to be a slave to what you already know than it is to submit then something to something that you cannot see, which is God. But again, doesn't matter how good of a person you are. You can be a phenomenal person who sins on the regular. He doesn't want your works though. He wants your faith because you can go out one night, binge drink, get blackout drunk, go have sex with three people, wake up the next morning and go to a soup kitchen, go to an animal rescue shelter, adopt a, a baby from another country. And none of that would matter to God because you don't have his, you don't have faith in him. You only have faith in you. You only have faith in that which you can touch and feel and see. The thing is, though, Paul, who wrote this, he did touch and feel and see Jesus. He did touch and feel and see Jesus. He was there. We can believe these words. This is the living word of God. We can trust these words. We can put our faith in these words. Remember, to not believe is to still require faith. So when I hear people say that they just can't believe, that they just don't have faith in it, that they, that they don't understand, that they... They just don't believe. I, I think to myself, well, you do believe. You believe that you don't believe. When you don't believe in God, you believe that you don't believe in him. So your faith is still somewhere. It's just displaced because it's placed within the flesh. It's placed within the world. That's why people that get so caught up in the world around us, you know, all the things that are wrong, which is everything, by the way, this fallen world, the things that are that are in dismay, we get so disheartened. People get so dismayed because their faith is in mankind. But the thing about mankind is that we cannot be both the problem and the solution. We cannot be our own saviors when we're the ones who created this mess because we gave into the temptation of sin in the first place. God gave us this world to inhabit and look what we've done. Look at what we've done. Yes, Satan has a hand in it, but that's because we say yes to him. Satan brings us the pleasure. Satan brings us the pleasure up front. 
That's why, that's why he wins us over in the flesh. Because he brings us the pleasure up front. Do the thing, do the thing, do the thing. It feels good, right? God brings us the pleasure after. Which is eternal life. I promise you that nothing on this planet is going to be as sweet as what it's, as what it's like in heaven. And that doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean you can't have a pleasurable life. But you can have a pleasurable life without being entrenched in the sin of it. And so, you're, yes, your worst sin cannot separate you from him. Your worst sin cannot separate you from him. He will always love you. Are you willing to let him? Are you willing to experience that love? Because that's what it's about. It's about experiencing his love. It's a gift given freely. It is finished, John 19.30. And again, it's hard to wrap our minds around that. It's hard to wrap our minds around that when everything is all about doing, right? If you look at every other religion, Hinduism, Buddhism, all of it, New Age spirituality, even atheism, because as an atheist or as an agnostic, your belief system, you are your own God, right? So all of those belief systems, D-O, do. It's all up to you. It's all up to you. It's all up to you. Jesus Christ, D-O-N-E, done. It's done. It is finished. You are free of your sin. You are not sinless, but you are free of your sin. You have eternal life. You don't have an easy life, but you have eternal life. There is no work you need to do. You simply need to have faith in me and submit to me. And again, if you're not submitting to him, then you're submitting to your flesh. You're still submitting. You're submitting to something. Might as well be Jesus, right? So when this, this is provided, right? And we die a spiritual death when we come to Christ. We are resurrected in the Holy Spirit. We are resurrected in the Holy Spirit. We, we are like God in that sense because, I shouldn't say that. We are not like God, but we are, we are children of God in that sense where Jesus came he died and was resurrected. We die of our sin. We die of our flesh. We die of the world and we are resurrected in Christ. So we are heirs of his children. And that's right here in Romans 8, 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God. So we are heirs of his resurrection and we are born again in the spirit. So his righteousness is needed and it is provided. Now, how is it justified? Well, Paul uses Israel as an example of why we need to come to God and why we need his righteousness as our compass on this in this fallen world. Okay, so we'll go to Romans 9, 31, 32. Where it says, but Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness hath not attained the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. So this is saying that Israel followed the law of righteousness, meaning the law of righteousness, not God's law of righteousness. So they tried to follow it, but they have not obtained it because it was by their works, not by their faith, which is what I keep saying. God wants your faith, not your works. And so it says, you know, 
for they, they stumbled at that stumbling stone. They stumbled at that stumbling stone. They follow Moses' law rather than their faith in Christ as their savior. And from there, 10.3. Okay, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness, right? Not the law of righteousness, like I previously stated. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone, everyone that believeth. Okay, so Paul describes Christ as the end of the law for the people of Israel. Now, we can easily use that for today, right? Christ is the end of the patterns or the routines of this world that confine us to our sin. Christ is the end of the fear of this virus. Christ is the end of the fear of the retributions for not getting a shot. Christ is the end of the fear of, oh my God, what's going to happen if there's a war? Christ is the end of those things as he is the end of the law of righteousness for the people of Israel. So his righteousness is justified in that sense. It comes back to that notion again that your good works are irrelevant to God without faith. Why? Because he wants to know you. He wants to know you. We can go back to John chapter 4 with Nicodemus as an example, right? Nicodemus, the most religious, the most religious esteemed man of that time, if you could think of one. None of that mattered to Jesus when he came face to face with him because he said, you do not know me. Jesus wants your faith, not your works. Jesus wants your faith, not your works. So the people of Israel, they sought after the law of righteousness. They tried to be good. They tried to do good, but they have not obtained it because it was not in faith of God. It was not in faith of God. And so, yes, it is written, all of Israel shall be saved. But we use this as an observance, as an observance of what happens in the meantime, okay? God uses it as an example. God knows that the people of Israel will ultimately be saved, but he allows them to be hardened. He allows them to be hardened to use them as an example of what happens when we are hardened to him. So that's actually a really good lesson for a lot of us Christians is trust God's timing, trust God's, trust who God is working on or who, or who he doesn't seem to be working on in the timing that you wish that he would be, okay? Because Paul... Paul's heart breaks for the people of Israel. His heart absolutely breaks for the people of Israel. He even says he would sacrifice his relationship with God if it meant that the people of Israel could know God. And I'm sure, you know, there have been times where maybe you felt that way. Someone that you love, you, you feel like you would give anything for them to just know, to know Jesus the way that you know him. For them to stop drinking out of those other wells that will, no long, that will never quench their thirst. Perhaps you have experienced that same feeling that Paul's had where your heart is breaking for those people. But this is a good lesson for us too, to trust the timing because it is written that the people of Israel will be saved. And the thing is, it is written on the hearts of all non-believers, the law of God's righteousness, whether or not they believe it. And yeah, it will be their choice whether or not they come to it. But the thing is, trust God's timing. You never know. You do not know the mind of God. You do not know 
his plan. So trust him. Keep praying and trust him. But without getting too far off course now, you know, the whole point of this is that when we self-govern, we fail, okay? Again, it's because we are sinful by nature. So even if we think that we are following this moral compass of righteousness, of good and bad, we're only ultimately basing that off of our own flesh when we are self-governing and we were, we will fail. And the world is an example of that. People say, how do you believe in God? Look at the world around you. Look at what happens when people don't believe in God. Look at the lack of God in the world, right? Separation of church and state. Look where that's gotten us. Okay. Look where that has gotten us. We are sinful by nature. God knows this. And this is what happens when we are without him. Okay. This is what happens when we are without him. And he uses this as an example and it's evident in today's world. And so, you know, maybe there's people listening or you have people in your life that could say, well, if God's real, why would he even allow that to happen at all? Why would he allow the people of Israel to suffer if he's real and if he loves them and if he knows that it's written that they are saved? And then similarly, why would God let the stuff in this world happen to us if he is real and, you know, he wants his children and he wants to know us and all that? Well, here's the thing. Romans 11.34, for who hath known the mind of our Lord? Nobody. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? We are not here to question God. Okay. And I have no answer for you other than free will is the ultimate showcase of unconditional love. Okay. God gave us free will because he loves us unconditionally because he wanted to give us the choice to choose him. So God need not explain himself to you. God need not explain himself to you, especially in lieu of all that he has promised us. He gave us Jesus. He gave us the free gift of salvation if we so choose to take it. He promises us eternal life, not an easy life. That's something I will continue to reiterate throughout this episode because it's really important for us to grasp as believers and non-believers alike. He promised us eternal life, not an easy life. So justification of God's righteousness is evident whenever we turn on the TV. It's all around us. It's in this example with Israel, with Paul. It's justified. God is always justified. So we must have faith. Now, practiced. How is, how is it practiced? Because I've been saying a lot that, you know, God doesn't want your works. He wants your faith. So what does that mean? Does that mean that we don't strive to be a good person, but we just have to believe in God and then that's a hall pass for whatever else? No. Romans 12, 1 through 3. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. 
So that means we resist sin. That means we resist the world. That doesn't mean we're sinless. That doesn't mean we won't sin, but we do our best to resist it. Okay, we know better. Doesn't mean we are better as believers. It means that we know better than to submit to our flesh because we have the Holy Spirit in the driver's seat. And again, it makes us no better than anybody else. God loves the most heinous, the most deplorable, the most ungodly person on this planet. That is so, the, fur, the person that is furthest from Christ, he loves perhaps the most. Um, so when I, you know, when I say resist sin, resist the world, perhaps a rebuttal would be, well, that sounds boring, you know, because that's something that's come up for me. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm, I'm imperfect. I'm sinful by nature. There have been times where I've thought to myself, Ooh, being Christian, this is, um, this is going to be kind of a, I'm going to have like FOMO sometimes, aren't I? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, who's going to have the most FOMO people that are standing outside the gates of heaven that aren't let in. But anyway, it's not boring. It's challenging. Yes. Not boring. Um, you know, the thing is what you are willing to give up now, you will not have to sacrifice eternally. So what you won't give up will cost you. But what you're willing to sacrifice, you will gain everything and more. There's nothing boring about an eternal life. <laughs> There's nothing boring about an eternal life. And it comes back to what I discussed earlier, how I, how thinking about our sin and how good it feels, how so, so good it feels. How good does it feel forever? You know, how good does it feel in the long run? Especially if I have to keep coming back to it, right? If it really worked, whatever it is, why would you need to come back to it so much? Unless you were addicted to the little hits that it gives you. And then you get so low that you need the hit again. So... What are you missing out on exactly? You know, maybe being Christian means you stop going, you stop going out every night and partying. What are you missing out on? Spending all your money? Killing your liver? Maybe it means you stop having sex with people. What are you missing out on? Accidentally getting pregnant or, you know, getting your heart broken or getting a sexually transmitted disease? Or just forsaking the reverence of sex so it starts to become meaningless to you so that when you actually do love somebody, it's not the same. What are you actually giving up by giving these things up? Versus what are you gaining? So is it really boring to be a living sacrifice for God? Or is it the most empowering thing you can do for yourself? Because it's protecting you. And that's why, again, it's in scripture so much. All of this talk about sin. All this talk about salvation. Because God knows that we rebel against him by nature. He saw it with Adam and Eve. Especially with Eve. Especially with women. We are emotional beings. We are such emotional beings. We want to act from our instinct, from our emotion. Sometimes that gets us into really bad situations. Speaking from experience, and I'm sure you can relate if you're a woman listening to this. God gives us these structures to 
serve him and to protect us because he loves us because we are his children. Again, think of what you need to do for a child. You need to give a child structure. If you tell a kid, you know, great example. That is the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. A kid might try and make paper wings and jump off of a building because he thinks he can fly. What would happen if a child did that? He would jump off the building and die. Okay, we are the little kid trying to make paper wings, trying to jump off of a building. God and his word is the parent that says, hey, if you do that, you are going to splat on the concrete. (laughs) So it's not that we're missing out. It's that we are being protected from more suffering. We are being protected from not only suffering eternally, but suffering here. Because let's face it, this world is painful enough, and God knows that too. This world is painful enough. We don't need more pain that is self-initiated. And when when we self-govern, like we see with Israel, when we self-govern, we ultimately self-sabotage. Because we are not God. So when we self-govern, we self-sabotage because we are sinful by nature. Because when we are living for the flesh, that's as good as it gets. When we are of the world, we are of the flesh, we are of the sin of the world. But when we acknowledge that we are just in the world, we don't need to participate in things of the world. And so, yeah, there's still going to be trials, there's still going to be tribulations, there's still going to be pain, there's still going to be things to overcome and challenges and all of this. But we have eternal life, even if we don't have an easy life. Okay? So... Satan, again, leads in pleasure and God ends with it. So part of that sacrifice of being a living sacrifice is of your own righteousness. So humble yourself at the Lord's feet, you know, in a faith that something greater is waiting on the other side. Humble yourself at the Lord's feet in knowing that there's something greater on the other side for you. He wants you and he loves you. Nothing's going to separate you from his love. But your choice to remain in sin will separate you from his salvation. And when I say your choice to remain in sin, I mean that your cho- your choice to not know him, to not accept him. Because you're still going to sin, even as a believer. I'm speaking from experience. You're still going to sin. You're still going to stumble. You're still going to mess up. But the Holy Spirit's in the driver's seat. You are not a victim of your flesh. Okay? You are a victor of the Holy Spirit in Christ Almighty. So like John 4, that that woman, right? Drink from the living water. Stop going to all these wells of unquenchable thirst. Stop going to all these different wells. And I'm not saying that once in a while you're not going to because you're sinful by nature, but you are free of that when you come to Christ. You are free of it when you come to Christ. And it makes it look less attractive, ultimately. 
So being a living sacrifice means being in your integrity. And like I said before, a lot of the non-belief perhaps is a defense mechanism because when we can say we don't believe in God, when we can say that there is no God, that, you know, we are our own God, and it goes both ways. We can say that there is no God, that we don't believe in God, or if we're in New Age spirituality, we can say that God is all loving regardless of what you do. Both of these things ultimately give you the permission to do whatever it is you want. It gives you a hall pass to just simply sin, to just be of the flesh. When you come to Christ and accept him as your savior, you have a different level of accountability being called forward within you. And a lot of people don't want to see that or feel that or have that, which is why we turn from God. It's a defense mechanism. It's a defense mechanism because it's easier to say yes to sin. Being in your integrity in Christ, you will stand out. You will stand out when you aren't of the world. The whole black sheep thing, you're going to stand out. It's like if you're sitting in a room and then you get up onto a chair, all eyes are going to be on you, right? Because you're going to be the only one standing up. But remember, you're not missing out. You're standing up. You're not sitting down anymore. You're standing up. And that doesn't make you better. I'm going to say that again. It doesn't make you better. It makes it very clear. Paul makes it very clear. He makes you know better to believe in Christ or to be of his righteousness. Just means you know better. So you are called to live in the spirit. God wants to protect you. God wants you to be in your integrity in service of him. Not to be in your integrity in service of your flesh. Because when you're in service of your flesh, begins and ends there. But I promise you, this is not as good as it gets. So choose your spirit over your flesh. And remember that he wants your faith. He wants to know you. A lot of people like to talk about relationship over religion. And you know, that's something I really liked for a while. But the thing is, the Bible does call us to be religious. But I think that's what people mean by it when they say it. They mean that he doesn't want our good works. It's just like Nicodemus, right? He doesn't, Nicodemus was the most religious man. He doesn't want your good works. He just wants your faith in him as a living sacrifice. So that's what that whole relationship over religion thing, I, I think that's what people mean by it. Although Jesus does call us to be religious in him. So rather than saying relationship over religion, say faith over works. It's your faith over your works. It's your faith over your works. And your faith is displayed in your practice, which is different than works, right? It's different than works. Practice has an entirely different connotation than works. Practice means that it's forever a work in progress. Work in progress. Whereas works is you're doing it, you're doing it, you're doing it, you're doing it, you're doing it which is self-service, which is self-authority, which is self-authoring, which is self-governing. Practice, totally different. Practice in the faith. So that's how we practice his righteousness, by being a living sacrifice. And so, you know, we remember in all of this, okay, I, I know it's easier said than done. Okay, yeah, just, just be of God, just be in the spirit. Easier said than done, I understand, which is, where a lot of the questions that I've had recently have come up for me, it's like, okay, yes, I know these things. Like, I know that I am 
of the Holy Spirit. I know that I'm resurrected in Christ now. I know this, but it's still challenging. It's still challenging. And it's going to be challenging, okay? It's going to be challenging to say no to sin. It's going to be challenging when things happen to you in your life that are out of your control that you don't understand. I'm dealing with that now, okay? There's stuff that's happening to me that I, I don't know how to deal with because a lot of it is I'm, I'm scared to submit. I'm scared to submit to God. I'm scared to submit to his will. It's easier. It's easier to submit to what I know which is what I can control, right? So I understand. I understand. And you're never going to be a perfect Christian. You will be in practice, right? But we do. And in that practice, we pray. We pray, we pray, we pray for strength. We pray for strength to do what is called forward in us as his children. So let's come to Romans 5, 1 through 5. It says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into his grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So like I said way before, suffering, quote unquote, suffering as being saved versus being unsaved, two totally different experiences because when you're unsaved, you're just continually experiencing your own condemnation. When you're saved, this is the idea of suffering, right? We glory in tribulations also. We glory in tribulations also. Because we know that there's always something to learn in it. We know that it's a part of God's plan. We understand that it's a part of God's plan. We understand that we are promised an eternal life, not an easy life again. So this life is hard. Yes, this life is hard Believer or non-believer, this life is hard, so you might as well be a believer. Because this life, as hard as it is, it is temporary. So now people may ask, how? How? You know? And I come back to how simple it is. I come back to how simple it is with God. How the work is done, there's nothing to do. And we find that in 10 verses 12 through 13. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, which comes back to that idea that, you know, you're no better than anyone else, regardless of where you are in your walk with Christ. Okay. There is no difference between the Jew and the Greek for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. The same Lord is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So how? Right there. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's that simple. It really is that simple. Jesus did all the work for you. 
He did it throughout his life and he really did it on that cross. When he bled and when he suffocated, he did it. It is finished. Okay? Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, you don't have to do it alone. You don't have to do it alone. If you want to take this part of the clip, say, hey, skip to this part for any non-believer that you love. Do it now. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You don't have to do it alone. You don't have to do it alone. I want you to very seriously ask yourself if all this time you haven't believed in God, if all this time you've been saying, I just can't wrap my head around it. I just can't bring myself to believe in God. I'm just going to do it on my own. I know I have to do it by myself. I want to ask you very honestly how well that has been working for you. How well has it been working for you to do it all on your own? How well has it been working for you to self-govern? How well has it been working for you to self-author? How well has it been working for you to live of the flesh, to go drink from those different wells of sin, to go find the alcohol, to find the pornography, to find the sexual immorality? How well has it been working for you in the long run? Okay. How well has it been working for you to wake up every morning and say, I got to do better for myself today? How well has it been working for you in the long run, not in the short term, thinking in the macro, not in the micro? Okay. How well has it been working for you? What do you have to lose? Because the thing is, and I've said this before in this episode, to not have faith is to still have faith in something. Because when you don't have faith in God, you believe that you're right in that lack of faith. Or maybe you don't believe you're right. Maybe you're open to it, but you still believe that there's a lack of belief, right? Either way, there's a conviction, So we all have faith by nature, just as we all have sin by nature, but it is your choice where you're putting that faith. So you can place that faith very easily in Jesus. It is that simple for whosoever shall call onto the name of the Lord shall be saved. He is waiting. He is waiting with open arms, with open arms. He is waiting for you to let him save you from yourself. This free gift of salvation, this free gift of salvation has been given to us from our father who loves us unconditionally, who loves the most ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly, right? So non-believers, there's a seat for you at the table, just as you are, exactly as you are. And those of you that are listening that believe, I want you to know that you just got to keep praying for them. And don't be don't be ashamed to share the gospel. That's a really big aspect of what Paul is saying in the book of Romans is that we need not be ashamed of the gospel. We have to spread the gospel. It's part of our, that sacrifice, you know, in our faith. It's part of our practice in that faith is to share the gospel. That is our job. Our job is not save people. It's not it's not to wake people up. That's God's job. You know, just as Paul had to trust God to awaken the people of Israel, we have to trust God to awaken those that are asleep, that have the spirit of slumber, so we can pray the spirit of slumber away from them. In fact, we will do that in closing together. First, Romans 15, 13. 
Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Okay? In believing. He just wants your faith. He doesn't want your works. He doesn't want your works. You know, I've heard I've heard Jordan Peterson say that he tries to live as though as though God exists and be a good person in that. And I think that's beautiful, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter unless he believes in God, right? And that sounds so harsh, but that's God's righteousness that is needed, that is provided, that is justified. Okay? He doesn't want your works. He wants your faith. He wants your faith. And if you have trouble with that faith, talk to someone that you know believes in him. Let them share with you what they know. As Paul shares with the Romans what he knows. What more proof do you need than this man that outstretched his arms on a wooden cross and died for you? What more proof do you need? You can believe in yourself who messes up on the daily. So believe in this perfect God who died for you, who gave you everlasting life. And do not be ashamed of the gospel, my believers. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Share it. Share it far and wide. I do hope that this episode found you well, and I hope that it was a really great reminder of our sin and our salvation as it kind of coincides, right? You know, to explain that salvation is only found in Christ and that we're still going to mess up. We're still going to mess up because we are sinful by nature. And I think that could be a hard pill to swallow for a lot of us believers that we're still going to mess up, that we're, that we're always going to fall short of the glory of God. Says that in the book of Romans. We will, we fall short of the glory of God, all of us, continually. That's why we need him. So just pray to him, you know, lay it at his feet. Lay it at his feet. Um, you can find me on Instagram. I will leave my handle in the show notes. It's at Angela Marie Yucci. I would love to connect with you. Um, you can, I have a link in my bio on Instagram. You can donate to Heaven and Healing Podcast Ministry. As it turns out, you know, maintaining a podcast, it adds up, you know, with all the equipment and the subscriptions and, and the platforms, all the things that I need for it. So you can absolutely donate if you feel called to do so. If God puts that on your heart to donate to the ministry to keep the podcast going, it would be so appreciated. All the funds go directly to the maintenance of this podcast. The link of that's my bio. You can also leave a prayer request um, for the podcast, which reminds me, I'm so glad I said that. So I added a prayer request box to the um, to Heaven and Healing on my Oh boy, hold on one moment. Do you ever like just sign out of your <laughs> email and then your password is just gone forever because you can never get back in? That's me right now. Uh, it's incredibly frustrating. That's incredibly frustrating. Um, okay. 
really sorry. The prayer request will be happening next episode because I need to change my email password for the third time this month. So anyway, I left on my, um, <clears throat> on my Instagram and link in my bio prayer request forms. You can fill anonymously or leave your name. I will include you in the prayer at the end of this, ep- at the end of every episode, we will always close in prayer and I will read those out loud starting next episode. <laughs> so sorry about that. Anyway, let's close in prayer together. If you're able to close your eyes right now and bow your head. <clears throat> Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your living word and your living water. And we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for sending your begotten son to us to die for our sins. Lord, we know that you love us. And God, I I have no idea. I have no idea why sometimes why you love me or why you love this world. But I'm so grateful that you do. And I lay my sins at your feet, Lord. And I I admit that. I admit that my sin feels good. God, it feels so good to me. And I pray for the strength to resist my flesh, God. I pray that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit every day. Especially in the moments where I am so tempted by that pleasure, God. Where I am so tempted by my weaknesses. Lord, I pray that you fill me with your strength. And I repent for those sins. I repent for the ways in which I don't show up for you. Where I show up for myself instead, God. I lay this at your feet. I lay before your feet. And I ask for your forgiveness. And God, those who don't believe in you the way I do, I pray for them. I pray that... I pray that you remove their spirit of slumber, Lord. I pray that you cast away their heart of stone and you give them a heart of flesh so that they know they don't have to do this alone, Lord. I pray for their salvation. I pray that with so much love that they suffer until they know that they don't have to suffer without you. I pray that they suffer until they open their heart to you and know your love, know your grace, know your mercy, know your righteousness as I have come to know it. Lord, I pray for you to be with me. And we pray collectively together that this episode will reach everyone who it is meant to, plant seeds, water seeds of faith. And allow those seeds to sprout in the most beautiful glory of God. Amen. Thank you so much for watching or listening. I'll see you on Instagram. And we'll talk soon. May God bless you. And may we praise God. Take care.